Welcome to the Dog Zone 9000. Yeah, is uh, 9, the official 000. podcast of the 1900 Hot Dog website. And um, with me, as always, is cracked legend Robert Brockway. As always, as always, together, forever, inseparable, joined Our at the hip. Intertwined. <laughs> and I wouldn't have it any other way. Also with us is fellow Cracked Legend and returning guest, our first returning guest, Jason Pargin, best-selling author, and uh, you might know him as David Wong if you're old school internet, but now he's just Jason Pargin. Welcome to the show. I love what a curse and what a jinx it is to have the, we will be together forever on record, because like every band that's ever said <laughs> that, you're usually about one month away from the horrible breakup when it's like, hey... We, we, right, we but now they know it's his fault. Together. They know I want to be. <laughs> I gotta say, I can't yeah, imagine doing this website by myself. If you leave me, I don't know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> I'm gonna start my solo project. Thanks for breaking us up, Jason. There's the. Yeah, you had to bring up the omen. The emotional manipulation from Sean that was should have been the warning sign we all we all saw long ago. <laughs> I gotta say, but that's the thing I'm into. I'm, I'm a little afraid of this episode, and I'm gonna just say because when Sean <laughs> like proposed this to me, uh, dropping it on me before the holidays as like a task, you know, like your boss drops a huge report in your desk. It's like this has got to be done after New Year's, and you realize he's like dropped. <laughs> that's how I talk. Yeah, homework on you, and he's like, hey, you know, we're gonna do a show uh, about Stephen Skull and also Dennis Miller and also Nicolas Cage. But you don't need to do any homework. You can just show up. It's like, okay. We both know what you just asked me. I did me. mean that. We both know what you just well, asked me Well, we assume, to do. rightfully, yeah, that you just know all of right. that. But, I mean, did you have to do that much homework? How much of it just came off the dome, though? Yeah, here's a look behind the scenes. Uh, earlier today, we were in Slack, and we started talking about Face Off. And it turns out all three of us have that movie completely fucking memorized. And that's all we did was trade Face Off quotes for, I was at four hours? So. Yeah, it was most. It was a good part of the day, but my. It was a great part of the day. I will say right now, I go on record. Like I warned Sean, it's like, look, what are you more afraid of? If you piss off Steven Seagal and he comes after you and tries to like fight you, or or if <laughs> yeah. comedy legend Dennis Miller hears this podcast. <laughs> and then comes after you on his social media, like using his comedy wit oh to God. start skewering you and roasting you in public. Like, which of those two things you are like you when he more went after Michelle of? Wolf? He will absolutely butcher you in 460 characters. Yeah, no, it's if I had to face them both at the same time, I still feel like I'm pretty confident. Like, if I'm having to like dodge from Steven Seagal's clumsy pause while still trying to like retaliate against dennis miller's quips i still think i the vicious like my mockery chances. yeah he's like look at you over there babe you're like god no waiting for the dmv it would be very distracting you have to admit that's true i'm genuinely worried about fist. about disappointing How... nicholas cage i just i don't think i could take it if he gave me that like sad look he does <laughs> that hangdog expression yeah you hold heart. up your wife's wedding ring and say, See anything you like? Oh shit, we're already doing face off quotes. 
Okay, is this the part of the show where we explain to the listeners what the premise of this episode is? Yeah, that's is, a pretty good idea. Self-evident. And as I mentioned no. last time, uh, Jason, you're our best communicator, so please try to explain uh, what the hell we're doing today. Okay, look, everybody listening, we realize that everyone we're going to reference today is far more successful than we are. <laughs> <laughs> financially okay like i don't know what steven seagal's career earnings are but i know that if someone were to give us the number all three of us would just sit here in dead silence for like 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 the next 20 minutes <laughs> contemplating it uh, and then there was a, a news article that i shared with you a couple of weeks ago saying that dennis miller recently sold his 50 million dollar mansion five zero million dollar mansion to ellen degeneres so the the entertainer's I immediately started doing the math on that because I think we all agreed, like, what the fuck has Dennis Miller done that would give him any income in, like, the last 15 years? Exactly. And, uh, you know, just measuring it from my house, and I was trying to extrapolate what his income or his uh, property taxes would be, and I think it'd be about four or 500 grand a year. If you have a $50 million home, that's what you pay just aside from gardener and maintenance and mortgage, if you have a mortgage. That's just like for existing, you have to pay half a million dollars every year. If any of the oh, three of Imagine us... Imagine being Dennis Miller's butler. <laughs> if any of the three of us God just damn. got Dennis Miller's air conditioning bill for that property, <laughs> we would think our lives were over. But anyway, so we realized in the course of talking about it, that Dennis Miller and uh, Steven Seagal and for, I guess, it, and on... In a bonus episode, we're going to discuss Nicolas Cage. These are all people who, at one point, mm -hmm. were not only extremely successful with mainstream success, but were actually considered cutting edge. Like, as in, teenage and college boys had posters of Steven Seagal on their walls as, like, here's a cool guy I would like to be. Uh, Dennis Miller, you know. With the heart around it. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, Dennis. John Baby Seagal, written on my Trapper Keeper. <laughs> You feel like like cropped in a photo of your face next to his, so it looks like you're kissing or whatever. Uh, you know, and obviously Nicolas Cage has, has you know won in a, a Best Actor Academy Award, been nominated for a, a second. Uh, Dennis Miller, you know, went from his very first stand-up show to being Weekend Update host on Saturday Night Live within five years. I mean, it was meteoric success. People were imitating his style. Mm -hmm. These are all people who at one time were wildly successful very early in their careers. And then at some point in their fifties or sixties, at some point in their life, they became parodies of themselves and the world just sort of started laughing at them. And it's not at all right. clear if they know the world is laughing at them because that was the thing with Dennis Miller, Dennis Miller, for those of you who don't know, if you only remember him from the 1990s and when he was the weekend update guy, after the early 2000s, he reinvented himself as a right-wing crank and started becoming a full-time like Fox News guy and is now like a full-time pro-Trump guy. And if the Dennis Miller, I think, from those early days, from the cutting-edge early 80s comedy scene, that incredibly hot stand-up comedy scene, could be introduced to the Dennis Miller of today and his mid to late 60s and what he's doing now, I think he, I think young Steven Seagal, like I think all of these guys would see their future selves and it would be like a Scrooge situation where it's like the ghost of Christmas future. It's like, this is where you're going. It's not too late. Yeah. It's not Send too late. Send me back. Start, surround yourself. Send me back to the 90s. people who will tell you I no. See, I've, been, 
I've been looking through some Dennis Miller books for this podcast, and he did sort of have that like sort of edgelord, uh, like conservative Republican type uh, act in the 90s. So I don't think when you say he shifted to like a right wing crank, it wasn't that far of a jump. He always sort of had this. Um, I don't know. For me, I guess what defines that philosophy is not caring about other people. Right. And Dennis Miller had that in his act. Like he just doesn't give a fuck about other people. And, you know, he had even before he was a right wing crank, he'd be like, oh, global warming, who gives a shit? We'll tell the kids we moved to Miami. And like that was like a joke to him. And I think that was to a lot of people in the 90s because we sort of knew that was nodding. We're like, yeah, people don't really think that. But then some people like Dennis Miller, like took the joke out of it. And they're like, no, 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 I, I truly don't care if the world gets hotter. Like, I don't care if the coasts get flooded. I don't live on the coast. And I, I guess he might not see his future self and say, what an asshole he might. Man, I loved him. I loved him in the 90s when I was a shitty teenager because it's everything that appeals to a shitty teenager, right. especially a shitty teenager that thinks they're a little bit smarter than they are. Mm-hmm. Like that that would would have been his core audience, I have to believe. So he was so he was so at home in the 90s. Like that was right. Exactly his style of humor and her culture was ready for it and embraced it. I think he just when people started to move on from it, it was the symptom of a, well, I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong now. I've been doing the same thing I've always been doing. It's, it, it, it's right. you who are wrong. The gentleman. And then where else do you go except for to the right wing? When you Just start to sort of drop it. this in, I am self-aware enough to know that if you looked at the stuff I wrote in 1996, you could say the same thing about me. I, I think I've, I've changed, obviously, in a lot of ways. But like, that's just kind of how we talked. And it's what a lot of us thought was funny back then. Uh, right, the '90s was was shitty. <laughs> the, yeah, the whole theme of it was let's all just be <laughs> shitty all the time. Isn't that great? Yes, but see, herein lies the true horror of what we're talking about, because you could also look at Nicolas Cage, and when he you say, "Well, now he's just a clown," but you could look at his early roles and say, "Well, maybe he was kind of always a clown," and you can look at you know Steven Seagal right, and say, there. and you can say, "Well, he's deeply uncool. Like he's like this." big chubby dork with uh, but then you look back at him and I was like man he was a dork then too the fear is that aging and getting that place in your life does not change you that it simply reveals what you always were that's going to terrify a lot of people because you can't stop it or else they would have stopped it and so this is what we're here to explore because one don't just be clear we are balancing this shows on a razor's edge because on one side, it is very, very funny what has happened to all three of these men. But on the other side, it is deeply, deeply tragic. And in it, we may be seeing our own futures. I didn't, real- I didn't realize we were doing philosophy this episode. I think that insecurity that you just put in our and probably everyone listening's head is very healthy, and I think it's very good for an entertainer to sort of constantly think like, oh my God, does this completely suck? Am I a joke? I think that helps push people to be better and to, uh, you know, check their work. Uh, and yet the more successful you get, the less likely you are to ever hear right. that. I guess with Steven Seagal, like he has to sort of build up all these delusions. Like I'm the total badass. I have magic powers. There's a right-wing conspiracy to make me look uncool or whatever. Left-wing conspiracy, I suppose, for him. And so... So if any chunks of that gets gets shattered, he has to create new delusions to sort of cover that up. And so 
I guess someone like Steven Seagal sort of has to grow into this kind of crazy. Um, and I think Jason's right. Like if he was to see his future self as a young man, he'd say like, oh my God, what the fuck happened? But I do think he has that like delusion building mindset that give him a couple of minutes and he'll come up with a way that it's actually super cool that he's a giant fat guy with a triangle glued onto his head. You know what I mean? I don't know. I'm not the philosopher. It is kind of cool. <laughs> if you think about it, it's kind of sweet. Okay. So if we were to start with Dennis Miller, I don't know how much your our listeners care about Dennis Miller, but the reason we mention him a lot is because it, there's a, actually a lot of entertainers who've done what he's what I think he's done, which is where he simply kind of saw where the opportunities were. I, like I think in some ways, especially in the early 2000s, he made a specific choice. Like when you get the call from Sean Hannity to be on his show in 2003 because Dennis decided he was on the side of the Iraq war or whatever, he made a choice that if you fast forward a couple decades, we are laughing at him and he's he's laughing at us from his $50 million mansion. <laughs> like for us to sit there and say, wow, how did he right. go so far off the rails? He would, and I cannot do a Dennis Miller voice. But if we were to mock him for going off the rails, Sean, in his voice, what would he probably say back to us? He'd say, oh, I feel real bad when my butler's feeding me rock cocaine. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he was... I didn't have anything prepared. I love that we, you're our default impression guy, and it's <laughs> it's pretty good. It's just, it's... Every single one is so good. It's spot on. <laughs> it's a tenet. There's no error. Anyone who's hearing that, you can understand why me and Brockway cannot do a Dennis Miller. Like it takes it takes a lot of it takes a lot of practice and yeah, doing it. That it's... is years of practice, years of vocal training, mm-hmm. just to be able to get that cadence. But yeah, a lot of people don't. They're not dedicated to it. There was a point where I think lots of teenagers who loved stand-up comedy in the 80s, and just to be clear, in the 80s, stand-up comedy was like the coolest job you could have. It was, there was this boom Mm -hmm. in the 80s when all of these giants came up. Jerry Seinfeld, everybody, when George Carlin was still out there, and Sam Kennison, and all of these guys. And to be, to like shoot... Eddie Murphy? Yeah, to shoot to the top of that scene and doing it as Dennis Miller did. We had this persona of this young brash it was like you said it was screw everybody but it it was you know if you're anti-establishment and you're doing it in the 80s it means you're anti-reagan you're anti you know anti-christian all that stuff and so he was you know like i remember one of his bits about gun control where he he talked about that bumper sticker where it's like you can have my gun when you pry it from my cold dead fingers and dennis like that's fine um, that was his, you know, like he, it was like, screw you to all of the old cranky people. And that was at the time, you know, that was where, you know, that was the zeitgeist. You're a comedian. It's, it's not funny to be a comedian and stand up there and say, and like defend our great president. Like there's no, uh, not a right. lot of great comedy comes from that as we are going to demonstrate when we go into Dennis Miller's Twitter feed, which he has since deleted <laughs> out of shame. Uh, Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, so he must know that he sort of sucks. This is no, the, everybody else sucks. This is the question. Does he know he yeah. sucks? Because what happened was, as far as I can tell, because again, he, he left Saturday Night Live and he was there until the early 90s. He actually got his own late night talk show after he left that. That only lasted, I think, a year. 
in the late 90s actually became one of the announcers for Monday Night Football. Like, that's how big this guy was. You know, he could get his own show. <laughs> I remember that movies. going very poorly, though. Yes. Oh, yeah. It, it went very badly. Um, because it turns out, maybe not a great improviser. <laughs> Okay. Uh, and it, some of you who have not heard Dennis Miller's comedy, he has this very distinct style where it's nonstop references to like early eighties pop culture figures that if you are then too young to know them, it's just gibberish. It's like that Star Trek episode where that the right. alien race speaks entirely in references that no one else has. Uh, it's just like an alien just race of dickheads who don't care if you don't understand the obscurity them. the obscurity was always part of it too it was it was supposed to be like you barely got it which is such a dangerous place to go to for your entire stand-up routine because as, as you age out of it you guarantee that nobody gets it exactly it's a which which is not a great fit for monday night football <laughs> i wanted to say that he's kind of a talented stand-up in that his timing is good and his delivery is good. And it, when you talk about comedy, it's just a really broad thing. Like he follows a lot of the rules of comedy in that um, he, he sort of knows which sounds are funniest. So if you were doing like stand-up to a baby, Dennis Miller would be one of the greatest stand-ups, I think. Because the, just because of the cadence and the timing and like the bouncy G's and the hard K's and all of the things that and he picks. And you'll, you'll see that in his work. He'll pick... Um, Words like Oktoberfest and Oingo Boingo, just because of all the random nonsense references, he'll find ones that have that sort of thing in their brain says, oh, we're being we're being whimsical. And and so I, I don't uh, obviously don't think much of him as a writer. But when it comes to like standing in front of an audience and, and saying these things, he's good at the craft of it. He's more of a slam poet. He's more of a slam poet. <laughs> I so I, I don't look at him and say, like, how the fuck is he successful? Like, I, I'm like, sure, that's fine. I don't know how he became so successful uh, because the content of the things he does. Like, I've just read three of his books. And I, I honestly, if um, if I was back at Cracked and this was like a draft that was handed to me, I would put it in the below average part of it. Like the the jokes are very, very low quality. Yeah, I cannot do what Dennis Miller does. I could not. If you if you transported me back to 1979 and you made me move to New York and live out of my car and try to rise to the top of that field and the sheer grind you have to go through and the abuse you take and all of that, it's 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 truly admirable. Same well, now with I'm rock hard. Same with uh, Steven Seagal. I can't do what Steven Seagal does. It, like you know, he learned enough acting to be able to make a few, several blockbusters, international blockbusters. He, his face is known around the world. It's to the point that today he will get paid multiple millions of dollars to show up on a movie set for like a weekend, not really get out of a chair. <laughs> and they can stick his face on the cover and the thumbnail of the, of the, and it will go direct to streaming and they will instantly make their money back because yeah. there are still people all over planet earth who will watch anything with Steven Seagal in it and won't even notice that he didn't leave his hotel room to, <laughs> to be in this movie because in the movie he's playing like the, the crime kingpin who only, they only talk to him on the phone and so just cussed him and he's clearly like in his, right. his, the the expensive suite where the rest of the crew had to like sleep in their vehicles like steven seagal like half the budget is just taking care of him and the other half is the uh sexual assault allegations he's not a good guy steven seagal we should also mention that <laughs> don't leave the women with steven seagal 
Yeah, he's got a writer just attached that you have to pay for any sexual assaults that he commits on set. There will be a disclaimer at the end of this episode that these are jokes that are being made. We we have not witnessed <laughs> any kind of a sexual assault on the part of Steven Seagal. We've never been in the same location as him. What's that? This is comedic exaggeration. Is the one not proven? I thought that was proven. I, I do think it's just sort of known. I mean, it's... Oh. There's multiple well, we're get, allegations. We're getting sued. Multiple credible allegations against Steven Seagal for such a thing. Okay. He's he's kind of one of those people that assumed like, oh, I'm famous now. I can do women want me. I can do whatever I want to women. And it turns out that's really, really not true. You do not. It's since been explained to him, but I'm not sure that like changed his mind about it. Okay, but I'm not worried about lawyers coming after you. I'm worried about one evening you will be walking out to your car at night. <laughs> And you will sit down and you will look up and you will hear a voice behind you and you'll look into the rearview mirror and there's Steven Seagal sitting back there. Oh my God. Can you imagine how fast I would have to run to escape Steven Seagal? <laughs> We're talking <laughs> ones of miles an hour. It depends on how many people he has there to help him out of the vehicle. Still, it's still that initial. I've seen that motherfucker run in those movies. You're just... You will you will be crippled with laughter, and he will take take that <laughs> opportunity true. to just devour he'll you, I, to savage you like a velociraptor. I mean, he'll immediately dislocate both his wrists, and I will be so overtaken with laughter, he'll be able to like waddle over to me and bite my neck. The movies he's making now, he runs so fast that it almost looks like a different person in those cuts. <laughs> almost, you will see him. Shambling. I swear, he he's teleporting. <laughs> A guy with like a Steven Ski's positive. It's like a guy with like a, a goatee glued to his face that yet somehow looks far more real than Steven Seagal's. Anyone, I apologize. Anyone listening to this, you need to pause this and go just do a Google image search for Steven Seagal now. Because a lot of the references to Sean is going to make to Steven Seagal's appearance may not make sense unless you can see him. You're going to think they're exaggerations. Here's a hot tip. Google Steven Seagal carrot. <laughs> See, I did not. imagination already. runs wild. I did not Google that. I know what photo he's talking about. And at the mention of it, my, my, the, my visual imagination Googled it in my brain. And I can see it perfectly. Uh, Brockway, if you do not know the photo he's talking about, please Google Steven Seagal carrot so that you now have it in front of you for the rest of this episode. <laughs> okay, but you'll have to give me a second because I, my keyboard is like a shotgun. Okay, I can edit all of it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Wait, now, let me ask you: Why does it look like he's uncertain what a carrot is? <laughs> why would you eat a carrot like that? Before before anyone thinks we're being too mean to Steven Seagal or Dennis Miller. Robert, do you think anything you've created in your life has brought people more joy than that photo brought you just now? <laughs> I can't say that. No, I am I am dust in the wind and I am looking at a legacy. <laughs> and Stephen Seagal likely doesn't even know that photo exists. It's just out yeah, there bringing people joy. Remembers. Like that's that's magical. Like I can't everything we're saying right along with them he's he's carrying two watermelons <laughs> at chest level and just smirking hugely along with this photo and the context just, of that photo the entire series is much funnier than what the photo is it's, it's jesus christ we're getting so far off track 
This is supposed to be the Dennis Miller section of the episode. <laughs> oh my God, Jason, you're the guy that gets us back on track. I don't think so at all. He had you oh, Google no. Steven Seagal carrot in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> stop. He had our listeners stop the podcast. Okay. Well, they, they all, if they've all done this, then they all need a moment to, to collect themselves. That's true. Before they can hear anything this we're saying. Perfect. Okay. Now, back back to Dennis Miller's life story. The issue, the, very, <laughs> I, I need to get this off my screen. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've disappointed you. I failed you. I know. Very, very quickly. In the scant few years in between, he was fired from Monday Night Football. In fact, it was just like a year. 9-11 happens uh, soon after. So as with all of our episodes, there's the first reference to 9-11. I know it always gets back there. And then Dennis Miller started incorporating into his stand-up like how mad he is at Muslims and how cowardly the French are. Like the French wouldn't, uh, people don't remember. There's a whole thing where during the war with Iraq, the French wouldn't let us fly over the airspace. So he started in like anti-French stuff and pro-military. And then during the Iraq war, when the left really came out hard against the war, Dennis Miller went all in. And at that point on, from about mm-hmm. 2003, is the first time I can see him showing up on Fox News. But since then, I think he has, uh, like he's had shows on Fox News, like he was an all out. And at that point, from then till now, and we're going to cite some of the comedy he's done during that period. It is some of the worst comedy ever created because you have somebody whose whose entire shtick was based on being the wise ass, you know, the whole world is ridiculous, to having to pivot to being the pearl clutching, how dare you insult our great president Trump, right right wing conservative, fifty million dollar mansion owning. When he gets roasted on Twitter, he deletes his Twitter and then goes to the the Nazi platform parlor it's i guess it's not a nazi platform but it's where all the nazis went so they wouldn't get banned because twitter banned them and to try to do comedy from that place and this is why he's on this episode even though some of you maybe have literally never thought of dennis miller even once in your life the reason we're talking about him is because when we quote where he went with his style combined with i don't understand the world and i'm very scared of the world and also, I can make bundles of money by just doing comedy for other scared old people. It is, there's no word for it. I don't have a word for how sad and also funny it is. <laughs> that The other thing about writing comedy for this crowd, um, I did an article on, uh, on Cracked about um, right-wing comedy and how it doesn't work, uh, at least on normal people. But like for right-wing people, they... They are all in on all of this crap. So if you say, here's a joke, and the point of the joke is that we hate the liberals, they will declare it funny. Like the, Whether it made them laugh or not, they will fight to the death that it was funny. Uh, there's a guy you might know on um, on the internet called Steven Crowder. Have you heard of this dude? Of course. Okay, good. Um, he's very much like this. Like it, it looks like he started off trying to be funny at one point, and it like didn't work out. And people are like, oh, no, dude, you don't make jokes like that. Those are awful jokes. And... He sort of, um, you know, spun it into how, oh, actually, I should make jokes about people like that. They need to hear these terrible things because it helps them. And so his comedy sort of turned into more of a like lecture series on how like, like, it's okay for me to make fun of crippled people because like they have it too good or whatever. And toughens them up. Sure. I'm ready for the yeah, real world. See, like the, he did a good thing. You know, they're all tough. And like his audience um, 
they're they're like yeah of course it's funny it, it must be funny otherwise what are we doing here otherwise we're just a bunch of like crazy bigots and intolerant people like saying mean things and so uh so i think dennis miller has that safety net where if he goes on fox news and say hey, babe you know president trump's a real smart guy blah blah like they're like that was, i didn't quite get the joke but it's obviously very funny otherwise you know we're we're fucking madmen I always picture your impression as being done by a Dennis Miller Muppet. Like that's, <laughs> that's the visual I get from that. So explain the Michelle Wolf thing is where a lot of people on Twitter became aware that Dennis Miller was still alive. And it was it is one right. of the low points in the platform, but you have to kind of set up the context and then why the, everything about it is the saddest possible <laughs> thing. Michelle Wolf gave the... Um... God, what was she, what was the event she was speaking at the the White House Correspondents' Dinner? Yes. And so uh, she obviously had some criticism for the uh, uh, near fascist right wing uh, politicians. And uh, Dennis Miller tweeted, um, "What a horrid human being Michelle Wolf is! I'm going to read up on her over the next couple of days. I will have a few brutally mean jokes about her by Wednesday." And Always good when you set appointments for your comedy. <laughs> yes. Expect punchlines in two days when I think of them. Which was so great because I think what he was going for is like, oh, I don't even know who she is. Even though she was a Daily Show correspondent and a very famous like stand-up performer. So he's already swinging pretty hard on like, I don't know who this pretty famous person is. But um, of course, to say I'm going <laughs> to write some jokes in a week is, is not how Twitter works. It's specifically like one of the oldest man things I've ever seen said on Twitter. It's like, not how comedy uh, works. To be a comedian and someone sure. throws a Stay joke tuned, at you babe. and you say, I'm going to come back. It's going to take me easily 72 hours <laughs> to come up with a sick burn in response right. to that. There's no amount of shame that you should be feeling <laughs> that, that would actually convey how sad that is. Again, the whole thing is that, yeah. you know, you're supposed to have these things instantly. That's, that's the whole, that's, Look, Twitter, you always have the well, option of just, that wit. of just typing <laughs> nothing. You can just not respond. The fact that he tweeted, I'm going to do homework on you. And then here's the best part. Sean, yeah. what was the joke he came up with when Wednesday rolled around? He uh, literally did not come up with a single joke. That's right. He, <laughs> was, he was unable to keep that appointment. <laughs> Stumped. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's nothing. She's great. I'm sorry. But I uh wow. And you probably I read knew up I was on her. What a lady. Gonna read this. Uh I actually wrote four jokes for him on Twitter that day. Um I'm gonna read them. Yeah, and I'm gonna do the voice and everything. What's new in the world? Yeah, I uh looked into this Michelle Wolf fear. You know this chick? I uh I call him like a salmon. Oh Shelly's got more tangles of red hair than OP Taylor's plumbing, okay? So that's just one. <laughs> He could have. He could have done give me, that. Give me another. Okay. Give me another. Okay. So uh, this Michelle Wolf, you seen this lady? I uh, this ditzy broad said is emptier than an Oktoberfest in downtown Miami. Did she? Oh, thank you. Did Did she not think I'd be coming at it with both guns blazing? I'm Captain Fucking Hairdo, babe. <laughs> <laughs> that one. Uh, you're probably wondering why that one was so funny. Is because um, Oktoberfest in downtown Miami, uh, emptier than an Oktoberfest in downtown Miami, was a real Dennis Miller joke. I took that from a YouTube clip that I found. Yeah, that seemed especially on point. <laughs> Her head is empty so, yeah, than I, I did Oktoberfest that. in downtown Miami. That's that's the okay. The joke being that's that there's no that's the joke he line. did not he did not come up with, but could have. Yeah, the the joke being that 
look, I've thought about this a long time because I was really stunned by this. I guess the joke is that no one in Miami would want to go to an Oktoberfest because there's not a lot of Germans. Um, but again, this is that Dennis Miller thing where October has a hard C and a bouncy B. So that's a funny word if you're a toddler. And so um, no, the downtown Miami has got the repeating. Even more important, Sean, if you're a teenager yeah. listening to that and you don't quite get it, the cadence makes right. you think it's you. And that this guy is so cool. Yes. He made a reference that you're not. So you laugh because you don't want to come off like you don't know what Oktoberfest in Miami is. Sure. And surely everyone else in the audience is not doing the same thing. And that over time, it's not going yeah. to be revealed that we were all just doing that the whole time. <laughs> He's absolutely taking advantage of your intellectual insecurity. And uh, I guess that's a, a good description for him. And the, the fake Dennis Miller tweets are a lot of fun. Uh, give me a week. I'm going to come up with a few. <laughs> Best of luck. I was going to make Sean I'm do not all read of all his. Them. Okay, well, that, we, we will post them somewhere. I, mean, I could, I guess. So <laughs> we can post them on Twitter. Fast forward a few years. And because, again, right wing comedy is not great as it was during the Obama years. At least during the Obama years, you could take the stance that you're anti-establishment, right? Because I'm fighting back against the feminists who now rule the world and all of the, you know, the, the Muslims and all, all the people like they're in charge now, you know, because like Obama, he's a he's a Muslim fem, feminist. Um, but when Trump <laughs> Trump took yeah. office, it comedy really bottomed out in a way that I don't know that we've ever seen before. Because again, when you have to do comedy defending Donald Trump, the world, a man who was manufactured and placed on this earth to be a comedy target in every way that he right. can be, from every strand of his hair to his skin tone, to his tone of voice, to the things he does, the things he wears, the things he is. He is the most perfect comedy target. And you are a comedian who... Not only can you not make fun of him, you can't acknowledge that he's ridiculous and have to feign outrage at the people like Michelle Wolf who, who do and, and who you know, call him monstrous. It is such a bad position right. for comedy to be in or a comedian to be in. And for someone like Dennis Miller. That's why he never came up with a joke. Yeah, exactly. After a whole it week. It stumped him. Uh, even though the bar for him to clear is literally so low it's not visible. It's underground somewhere. You could just walk past it. You wouldn't know how to get under it. Like it's, he doesn't have to do anything in order to get cheers from his audience. And I guess it, that's what his answer was. Oh, I don't need to do anything. It's I'm fine either way. So during the, the Trump years and the, the, the final tweet that got him roasted so hard that he literally deleted his Twitter that was in early, I guess it was in like spring of this year. Do you want to read his tweet? And again, people, this is not one of Sean's fake Dennis Miller tweets. This is one written by Dennis Miller <laughs> trying to be the funniest 2020 Dennis Miller he could be. Okay, here it comes. Limber up. <clears throat> the young Jedi beat team that is the White House press score have been Groupon comp lifted. Back to the real jobs, being overly astounded by the new tailgate kick plates and unctuous Chevy truck commercials. <laughs> now, I'm worried that some listeners will think, well, Sean must have read that wrong because that just sounds like eight or nine 
somewhat <laughs> totally unrelated pop culture references that do not form a coherent a thought at all. But no, yeah. that's... It sounds like a speak and spell, like getting lowered into the lava, like T-1000 style. <laughs> in, in the... Oh, I cannot believe that's not parody of him. That's the best parody of him that's ever been written. In the How post, can we beat that? What are we even doing here? In the 1900 hot dog post that accompanies this podcast, I assume we can link to that tweet or the article about that tweet, which became something of Twitter legend yeah. because it was it was the moment when we all realized, oh, this is this is as sad as it can <laughs> get. And this is the point where I wish I, I could go back to 1985 Dennis Miller and just read him that tweet <laughs> and to which he would say, oh, my God, future me is having a stroke. Did someone call an ambulance? <laughs> to which I would we would he have might just think this, that this is the meanest impression of me anybody's ever done. <laughs> I love unctuous Chevy truck commercials because. Like what a. I'm trying to sound smart word that doesn't really apply to Chevy truck commercials, I guess. Like it just uh, means it's so, there for so purely for that less than sound nothing. that lets it fits his cadence is the only yeah. thing he needed to use a word like that right there. Why are they Jedi <laughs> tailgate? They're the young but, Jedi B team. Well, you need it's it's Dennis yeah, Miller, but also what Dennis is Miller Jedi? Mad Libs. That implies a second team of Jedi is better than them. But also, they're the Jedi you see in Chevy truck commercials, right? But they're not impressed the good ones. by the new tailgate kick plates. It, it, he's referencing ads he saw on Fox News, so like he knows Lyft is a thing. He knows Chevy truck commercials, mm-hmm. commercials, and because on Fox News, that's what you you get. You get ads for cars and for you know like erectile dysfunction medication things like that. So that's. <laughs> I have read this tweet easily a hundred times and I find something new and magical about it every time I do, because it, mm-hmm. you have to understand listeners for someone who writes for a living. And I think all three of us fear that one day we will get old and everyone will, will laugh at us and we will will think, Oh good. They're still laughing. It's like, well, no, they, they feel sorry for you. They, they don't, they actually don't understand the joke you're trying to make there. Um, and look, I, I, I get it. It's just that he landed in a place where he accidentally did parody of early Dennis Miller that is so perfect and destroys mm-hmm. his early self so beautifully that it is almost Shakespearean in its tragedy. The- <laughs> he should have just like folded Jesus. up and blinked out of existence then. He should have just like annihilated his past self. We shouldn't even know broken. who he is. He should have erased himself from the timeline with this thing. This is why I wanted Sean's fake Dennis Miller tweets compared to this real Dennis Miller tweet that came years later, by the way, and realized <laughs> that Dennis accidentally roasted himself so much harder than Sean ever could have. Because you know that he was trying to be cool 1986 Dennis Miller, and this is as close as he can get. And it's amazing. And I went through, I spent hours for some reason over the holiday, you know, because I could not go home and see my family. And instead just went into archive.org. It's the only way to see his old tweets because he, he deleted it. To just look at some of his Trump era, first his Obama era tweets, and then it progresses into the much sadder, 
Trump era tweets. And so, and I cannot, again, I'm not going to do, and by the way, I, we mentioned that he has since fled to extreme right wing uh, Twitter ripoff parlor. And his most recent tweet is, the Supreme Court is just a regular court with sour cream and tomatoes. Whew. Oh, that's not even Dennis. Yeah, that's Miller. a joke from I'm like, sure you know, this listeners. Yeah. Like that is at least 30 years old, tired joke. Like, like that's the kind of joke that if you said that in 1995, someone would be like, oh yeah, okay. I, I've heard somebody say that. There are literal children's, you want to take another crack joke books that have that joke in it. I 100% am sure of it. Yeah. There are jokes for kids books out there from 1995 because kids that are old enough to know what a taco Supreme is. And it's like, Oh, Supreme, whatever. And he rewrote that in 2020, a few months ago. So that's a chicken cross the road joke for sure. This is a somewhat random selection of Dennis Miller's tweets, 2011. And again, I'm not going to do the voice. <laughs> what do you get when a jet? That Does that mean I have to read it? If you want no, to, please, I please. feel like it takes a lot out of you, but it, it's, if you, it does, if you want to, you, you can, because the more you do it, the more you slowly no, please do. Cause I, I do have to do the voice for, for Sean baby's book game, not to spoil okay. anything. Uh, okay, so for March, 2011 or, or thereabouts, what do you get when a jet that is strafing Benghazi is shot down over Benghazi by French jets? A jet that crashes to earth in Benghazi. Hmm. Um, you, you, hmm you, indeed. You hear the dead silence there. What? Is that a joke? Is he making a serious point? He is referencing I'm... something he just heard on the news in an interview that he assumes everyone is listening to, but of course we're not. Right. So I feel but like the he... hum implies that like someone lied to him like that this that's not the, the real story that if a french jet shot you down over benghazi like you'd you would go to like like a fromage restaurant or something i don't know i don't understand what what he means like and any if a time french we jet shoots trying... you down do you land in a different yeah you're not gonna crack it you will go <laughs> mad in the attempt if you actually successfully understand that you will lose an intrinsic part uh, of yourself that you'll just never get back honestly i i'm i'm gonna say this i'm really embarrassed about this now but like after reading all these dennis miller books i was starting to feel like i kind of got him like i got like his motivations because because he reveals a lot about himself with um the references that he repeats and like the little windows into himself and um like i'm gonna give you a quick uh uh example like let me find the one um i'm picturing okay okay go ahead <laughs> i have american gladiators uh trading cards as bookmarks in my dennis miller book and i just found the quote i'm looking for he says for me charity is keeping six ball losers whom their union insists on calling writers in quotes employed in spite of their drunken binges and $900 a month phone sex bills without firing their unfunny fat asses for making me try to sell their hackneyed it should be me out there lines of witless dung. So like, what? That's, that's how Dennis Miller thinks about like people who wrote for him. And uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, when was that he book? Thinks, what year's that book from? Oh, that was, uh, let me look at that published i think 1990 so really all of these writers are intentionally sabotaging dennis miller at this point that's what's happening that was a year 2000 book so this is um oh my god that was 20 years ago yes yeah pre-9-11 <laughs> pre 
But uh, like for me, that's maybe one of the most unlikable things I've ever read. Like it's it's obviously not funny, but like to throw his writers under the bus and use such cheap insults against them, but also to imply that all of them want to be him. And he's like this superstar, but he's like saying the words that they hand him. And, and, and so I'd, I'd read lines like that. And I was like, this is a window into who he is and how he thinks and how he thinks other people think. And yet I just don't fucking know anything about him. And he's extremely wealthy by that point, right? Because he was, he had, by that point, he's been famous for a very sure. long time and has been in doing, you know, so, I mean, this is a guy who could go on, on tour. On top of the stadiums. Of, yeah. He would, he'd sell out stadiums on tour, but, um, I actually looked it up after I saw his $50 million house. Like, what the fuck is he doing for money? And I guess uh, he and his wife flip houses, which is sort of like at a certain threshold of being rich, you could just kind of make a ton of money buying houses and selling them for a little bit more. And so, yeah, that's what he does now. So I don't think he needs the comedy stuff anymore. Just like everybody I have no respect for does. Right. Yeah. Once there's a point where you get rich enough that you kind of can't lose it like the, like society right, has exactly. all sorts of ways where you just you just buy a bunch of property and that it's going to be worth three times more than what you paid when you sell it. Like even if you're spending your money stupidly, it's you're still you're still pretty rich. By the way, I have to ask this. This is related. Please please don't take this the wrong way. But you mentioned you're sorting okay. through your multiple Dennis Miller books and you've, you're you're marking <laughs> your many many places with your American Gladiator trading cards. If you had to estimate what, per, and maybe this is like on your taxes, but what percentage of your income is spent ironically? <laughs> oh my God. Um, I tell the IRS it's probably 30%, <laughs> but uh, it's probably closer to 60. I don't want to just embarrass myself in front of the IRS. <laughs> so you would actually, you would make more money if I you admitted yeah, that it I was 60. I take the hit because I just don't want anyone in the government knowing. Because when they audit you, this guy's going to be like, oh, I can't do this. This is too pathetic. Yeah, they're going to come in like, look, there's no way somebody bought this many Dennis Miller books. How much did you spend on I, Honestly, the Dennis Miller books were literally one penny each. So I, oh, I, okay. It cost about $14 <laughs> to get them mailed to my house. Like that's Oh, my God. How many yeah. how many billions of copies did he sell to make that, and, buy that and that is 60% of my mansion. income. Right. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to race through. I'm not going to read all these tweets. If you want to go look them up yourselves, don't do it. There's no reason to. But just quickly, this is what it, it looks like when you're trying to be a conservative comedian in this in the last decade. <laughs> March 2011, famous polar bear Canute was found dead this a.m. Left a suicide note saying he couldn't bear the shame now that global warming has fallen apart. The logic of that what? joke. A why would the polar bear kill itself if it turned out global warming wasn't true? Do you see how he's trying to force ideas together? Yeah. Like, do you understand what I'm, why I picked this out? Like, do you see how hard he's trying to dunk yes. on who? The, the bear? The, the people okay. who celebrate? I guarantee you it's because Canute is a funny sound. That's guarantee you saw that and wrote it down. And he I was I, like, yeah, that's my, that's my end. That's my entry. I this found is it. another good look into how he writes. And uh, you, maybe you write like this too, but when I'm trying to form a joke, I sort of just let my mind explore in every direction. And I'll think like polar bear. What do I think about polar bears? Uh, uh, global warming, ice, uh, blah, blah, blah. And like my, I just let my neural map go in every direction possible. 
And then you pick the parts that are interesting and see if you can link them back to the other one, create some ironic connections, some absurdities. This leaves out at least 90% of what I just said. Like this is just a, a very stupid man who heard polar bear and thought, polar bears have something to do with global warming. How do I link the, no, I don't have time for that. Tweet it, parlor it. But here's the thing. You, you're you in a position where you have to land in a spot where you are absolutely taking a 100% partisan position. You're not just, you can never just make yeah. a comedic, you can never just observe something being ridiculous now. Your bread and butter right. is you've got to be, you know, you're marketing to a certain audience. Um, every time Nancy Pelosi opens her pie hole, I feel intellectually famished. Oof. President Obama has this done. One, do you... President Obama has done more for the half step than Kevin Spacey and the Usual Suspects. That's pretty good. You're getting better. Does anybody <laughs> know what that? I actually 100% did not know. I accidentally started doing the Dennis Miller voice until you called it out. <laughs> does anyone understand? Seriously, does anyone understand what he's saying there? This is from April 2011. I Obama's do... been president for uh, Kevin. Kevin Spacey uh, played a character named Kaiser Sose who had a fake limp for most of the movie. I understand. And so uh, so uh, the half step is sort of a reference to the limp because he's okay, sort but of, what... you take a half step if you've got a limp. So oh, uh, President Obama, I don't understand the, the policies he's referring to, but I think uh, President Obama uh, was criticized for not being like a bold decision maker like his predecessor, George H.W. Bush. And so... Uh, Obama would be seen as wishy-washy by the right-wing people, and that would be something they could criticize him for. Like, he didn't fix the entire world. He just kind of came out and said, like, hey, here's we're going to try this, and, you know, didn't fix the world, so it's a half-step. And then, therefore, he has, he has popularized the limp. But again... He has done, he has done press for the limp, <laughs> yes, he's is the press. premise no. of this joke, is that he's doing PR for <laughs> the abstract concept of limping. I do want to say that there is a lot that doesn't work. I'm just saying I get what he was going for, and you're you're 100% right that it doesn't work, and he's wrong. And this joke is objectively wrong and bad. May 2013. Thank God Alicia Masters can't actually see her and Ben's baby, NBA ref Joey Crawford. I don't... Uh, I don't no. Nope. Okay. Don't get any of that. June 2013. Alicia, who's Alicia Masters? No, no, we're moving on. There's Don't, don't. Oh, June. Tw the, the answer is not going to satisfy anyone, Sean. Why? It's who, whose life is going to be improved Stop by it, us Sean. finding out what he was referencing there? Wait, wait, wait. That's um, from comic books. That's from um, the Fantastic Four. That's a Fantastic Four joke. Is it good? Um, well, I don't know who NBA ref Joey Crawford is, but he must gonna... look like the thing because that's. Uh, the joke is that man looks like the the thing from the Fantastic Four. I think I got it. Well, it, it, the joke is that he looks like a combination of the thing and Alicia Masters. Now, who's that? And a blind woman. <laughs> yes, and, a, okay. and an average looking blind woman. <laughs> so, yeah, I love it. I love that joke. <laughs> June. You read too many Dennis Miller books. <laughs> so fucking stupid. You're in the headspace now. You're it's in the so, Miller space. But, but like, listen. It's got you. I, I'm a fucking hardcore comic nerd. And I wasn't like I was his best shot at getting that joke right. I'm I'm legitimately now an, a, a Dennis Miller expert, 
and a comics nerd. And if I don't get that fucking joke, no one does. So congratulations, Dennis, on, on blowing your, your only shot. June 2013. The White House press room was turned into men staring at goats blaming other goats. It's getting very good impression, but that that joke means nothing to me. Don't don't even have a guess. November 2013. I do. Working, working on a reboot of The Crucible starring Richie Incognito. Okay. Great job, Dennis. Nope. Not even not even any funny sounds in that one. April. You're not giving me anything. You're not giving me anything to work with. You don't think Incognito is a funny name for a Richie? I, I guess. Yeah. April 2016. No Richie Meatballs. April 2016. Frank White and I sit in at a Ewing Kaufman Basketball Academy to protest sizism against Freddie Patek. Wow. <laughs> Now here's a Freddie Patek. There we go. He's got it back. He's a now famously he's short baseball gold. player. It, it, um, here's the thing. Frank White, I believe, was. <laughs> go ahead. Well, here's the thing. I, I worry that someone will take that audio out of context and that it will turn out that that tweet is incredibly racist somehow. I don't know because I don't know who's being referenced here. That's a good point. Oh, I saw the one you just highlighted in the Google Doc. Just. Feel free to go ahead and... Here, I'll read it for you. Thunberg kid reminds me of Veruca Salt. That's the complete tweet. That's the first one. It's, <laughs> it was from after Trump became president. Because the previous one was Trump was running and it was clear he was going to win the primaries. This one was from October 19, just mm -hmm. months before he finally deleted his Twitter and all of that work he had put into it and declared that the platform couldn't be saved because these people clearly do not get real comedy like i throw this gold out there and they just all i get is people making fun of me and, and quote tweeting it and so by the time that trump's been in office he is you know has every house of of congress and in the supreme court and all dennis miller's got left is thunberg kid reminds me of veruca salt that's that's it it's just that's it dunking oh. on an unrelated teenager <laughs> it's such an it's incomplete so. thought it's like something that a wife would say. Yeah, that's a uh, note. Yeah. Follow up yes, with dear. something better. Uh-huh. Okay. It's absolutely something that you would respond with okay boomer to. Like that's an that's an okay boomer setup. And I feel like now when you go back and hear the tweet that caused him to destroy his Twitter, you can see that that was him coming back. And trying yeah. to put in effort and saying, look, okay, so fine. That was, it's lazy for me to just insult people because I'm now standing on the side of total power uh, and I'm trying to be an edgy comedian. And so he comes back with the young Jedi B team that is the White House press corp has been Groupon comp lifted back to the real jobs, <laughs> being overly astounded by the new tailgate kick plates in the unctuous Chevy truck commercials. <laughs> Which I we got you fully doing the impression. I think though. he has. Oh, you just you fought it so hard, but you I did it. I think Dennis Miller has fifteen to twenty hours in that tweet in in drafting it. I think he went through version after <laughs> version his work. and thought when he put that out there, it was going to go so viral, and people were going to be, you know what? That is right. You know, he though they are the young Jedi. He's back. Captain Hairdo is Captain back. Hairdo, everybody, they, they are the young Jedi B team, babe. And and the people just were so baffled by it, and so 
I mean, some people were dunking on it. Other people were like, you know, is he okay? Is someone, you know, can someone go to his house and see if he's collapsed on the floor? Like, is it possible that, uh, you know, can it, it like, like Dennis was like, is half of your face gone numb? Like have the muscles gone dead? And like, can you, um, yeah, that's a dying brain misfiring for sure. Yeah, that's we were legitimately afraid for him. But then, no, he and that was when he got so frustrated that we didn't appreciate his genius anymore. Because clearly, again, from the old person's point of view, it's not that he's lost his fastball. It's that audiences don't know what's funny anymore. So I do not doubt mm-hmm. that he thinks to himself, this was too edgy because the world has lost its edge. And I, Dennis Miller, am... And, of course, an edgy comedian, so it can't be anything that I'm doing wrong. But the world has gotten so soft that gold like this, hard-hitting gold, just sails right over their heads. Well, and so it's time to find a new audience. You know what it's time for. You know what time it is. Game. Some babies In this version of Sean Baby's Book Game, the two of you are going to hear me read a Dennis Miller quote. Um, yeah, I'm going to do the voice and everything. And you're going to tell me if it's real or if it's fake. And I'm going to take it from the books. I rant therefore I am, or the rants. I know you're both familiar with, uh, both those books or I'll be making it up all my own and you have to tell me. So, um, Jason, you're going to go first. You're going to listen to me say this and you have to tell me if it's real or fake. If the teeth of every celebrity pictured in them have been blacked out with the ballpoint pen, patients are waiting longer than they should. I know people are waiting for me to say Gado at the DMV, but Gado wasn't waiting, and if I had to say Vladimir and Estragon, I'd have been waiting even longer for a laugh. Babe. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Wow. There's... And so these two books were written in the uh, late 90s. So that's it's like being punched in the back of the brain. <laughs> it's distinctly unpleasant. I think this is a, a reference to the Samuel Beckett play, um, Waiting for Godot. Yes. Uh, yeah. That, a deep well for Dennis Miller. Yeah. Uh, which I don't think he has actually seen. I think he just knows that. Almost certainly that not. title. And yeah. it's in, he uses it. When he knows it's something a smart person would say. But, but. I now, think, do you think I've masterfully known this and incorporated it into a fake tweet or a real quote? I think you, I think this is a real, I think you wrote this because I think you were trying too hard. I think you put too many terms in there <laughs> and I think Dennis Miller would have kept it more controlled. I think it is fake. It is a real quote. Jesus. So, Can you read it again Rockway, this time without you, you the accent, without, without the, the voice? Just read it. Okay. I, I know you can't not do the voice. As much as not doing the voice, it's I want difficult, the, but I can focus. The listeners, yeah, you to lost. Hear you the lost that battle. Don't you be taking your high horse. If the teeth of every celebrity pictured in them have been blacked out with a ballpoint pen, patients are waiting longer than they should. I know people were waiting for me to say Godot at the DMV, but Godot wasn't waiting. And if I had said Vladimir and Estragon, I'd have been waiting even longer for a laugh. Now, I didn't take this out of context. Uh, This is uh, the full paragraph, and the paragraphs before and after it are not really related to this. So, um, this is that was a complete thought from Dennis Miller. Uh, And I I I feel like it's it's like a jumble that I have to unscramble (laughs) to make real sentences. So, I I believe the joke is uh, the play is called Waiting for Godot, and 
So if Godot was waiting at the DMV, that would be a reference to the name. But since people were waiting on Godot, it, the joke wouldn't work. Now, uh, he could have said Vladimir and Estragon, which were the characters in waiting on Godot, uh, the people who were actually waiting. But then he didn't think he would get that because like, and he's right. He's that's the one thing about this he's right about. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a real quote. Congratulations, Dennis Miller. And um, I'm sorry you lost that round, Jason. So, Brockway, <laughs> you have a chance to pull ahead if you can tell me right. if this quote is real or fake. When I went to college, I lived on campus and the guys I hung out with made the characters in Revenge of the Nerds look like the Rat Pack in 1962. I myself made that kid Booger look like Remington Steel. I remember finally breaking down and trying to wash a pair of socks by shaking them around in a rinsed out skippy peanut butter jar full of hot water and a squeeze of Colgate tartar control toothpaste. I think, I think you wrote that because <laughs> there is like a world in which some of those references <laughs> could be understood by a general audience. So you think that's um, fake? Yeah, I, I think that's fake. It's real. Damn it. <laughs> okay, we're going to do one more round of these. And so, Jason, is this real or fake? Hype is everywhere in our society on every level. It starts at the top with our promoter-in-chief, the man from Hype, Bill Clinton. Clinton has done more for spin than Brian Boyton with an inner ear infection in a fucking centrifuge. You know, if Clinton blows any more smoke up my ass, my sphincter is going to suit Philip Morris. I'm worried that you're doing that thing where these are all real and you're trying to make some sort of a point <laughs> by, by not inserting any fake ones and not because you, instead of taking the time to write them. We are at the third entry that this would be the time a pattern could be determined, but it's a very risky, risky play. That still, that sounds more fake to me than the last one because it's got the anti-Bill Clinton stuff in there. No, I think I think you wrote that one. I think it's fake. That is real. <laughs> so Brockway, we're gonna do Are one more. You playing us? You're playing us. You might have a chance to uh, uh, win this first round. It's real. The, the last okay. one. Okay, I'm sorry. Just back back in it for a moment. The one you gave Brockway. The moment when he specified yeah. that the toothpaste was tartar control. That's where I thought mm -hmm. it was fake because it's like, well, that's one extra. Yeah. That's too many references. That don't exactly. affect the, the scenario at all. Like, it's just thrown in there as like a, a code word you've heard in an ad somewhere, and that's supposed to make you laugh because it's... That's the Dennis Miller School of Comedy Writing. You just, you'd make the full product reference, and that's, um, it's got tartar control. Those are funny toddler sounds. Colgate, uh, a product you've heard of. This was probably like after Colgate Tartar Control was running a big, heavy ad campaign. So it's sort of like a, you know, just like a sound you might have heard before. I, I, I don't know. It's hard to get inside Dennis Miller's head. I got to be honest. But um, it was Jeez. very real, I promise. <laughs> All right, what's mine? Okay, yours is. Bill Clinton dodges responsibility like a motley crew roadie after a crack stripper chokes to death on her G-string. 
or like an Oingo Boingo roadie when it's time to wash the communal Mountain Dew pee bottle in the tour bus they share with Kajagoogoo. Damn it, that's gotta be fake. That's gotta be you, right? <laughs> that actually was me. I wrote that. Oh, I'm, uh, I, I knew that because I don't think Dennis Miller made, referenced Oingo Boingo as many times as you think he did. <laughs> when you imitate Dennis Miller, he did reference them. You a always, lot. yeah, you, you you always go back to Oingo Boingo, but I don't think it came up as, yeah. as often as it's fair. it was. It was actually Kajagoogoo that tipped me off. <laughs> you don't think Dennis Miller would mention Kajagoogoo? I, I do, but I don't think he would go for the double dip of Oingo Boingo and Kajagoogoo. I think he's he's a subtle man. I with thought restraint. I was better at writing fake Dennis Miller than this. So, although if that's you a... if, if you told me you had written that by constructing parts of three different Dennis Miller jokes word for word and combining <laughs> right. them, I would also believe you. Like if you said, "Well, it's fake," but I did I did it by grabbing yeah. words from two different pages of the book and just putting them together, I would have. I I did absolutely do that. I didn't pull out entire like sentences but like fragments here and there that the wording is taken from other parts of the book and uh crack stripper was something i noticed uh because i did actually i uh, went to google books and searched for crack uh in all of his books and he made so many crack jokes which is another like comedy hack thing in the late 90s it's just crack 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 and um i saved a bunch of them i'm not gonna subject you to them because we'll be on dennis miller all day but like but you saved them so that you have, I have them when you them. need them. If I need them, them for something. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, congratulations, Brockway. You, you are up by one point. If we do another round, Jason will have a chance to tie. But it's looking like we're not going to get time. So this could be your first victory. Oh, my God. I, have, I will take it. I have nowhere <laughs> else. I won't be proud of it. I have nowhere else to be. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not ever doing <laughs> another episode on Dennis Miller because – that that contest that a good point that weighed on me the same as if like you had asked me if you'd give me like a series of uh, like test results from my family members and one of them had a terminal illness and i had to guess which one had cancer and which one didn't that's what it felt like hearing that these were real dennis miller jokes <laughs> yeah they just they wither your soul like you can feel some part of you just grinding away the more he well, it's more everything he it sounds it's like everything. we're gonna do another round let's give jason a chance to tie. <laughs> i want to see how far we can go down this dennis miller hole so I, i'm done exploring the dennis miller hole you ju you're just up by a point and you want to stop but we're gonna do one oh, more no shit i forgot I, this is the only one i've ever been winning oh this is such a <laughs> sophie's choice scenario you're giving me <laughs> So are we in agreement? What, do, what do I want to sacrifice? We're going to do one more round for the tie? Sure. It's uh, your yeah, show. This is yeah. your last okay. chance. You, you put the work into putting this together. This so is this is because we're, we're not we're not ever going to do it again. This is too hard. This is too hard right. for me to hear this. Yeah. But counterpoint, it does suck. <laughs> the problem may not be that rock and roll sold out, but that simply everybody bought into it. MTV did for rock and roll what the full-length mirror did for Liberace. Even our current president ran for office with the Fleetwood Mac tune as his campaign song. Sure, we never dropped acid, but Bill Clinton's mind is about the only thing that hasn't been blown. Who are some of my favorites? Well, I kind of like Hall. He watched Courtney Love on stage and that Raw aggression is so sexually intimidating, even Clinton's ever-ready man bone would retract like a motorized Volvo antenna. Real or fake? 
<laughs> motorized Volvo antenna. That's how a boner goes back in. If you see Courtney Love, right? That's how that's how Dennis Miller's boner works. <laughs> and so relatable too. Who, we all who have was that asking it? Am I being asked that or is uh, Jason? Do you think that was real or fake? I don't think you would have come up with the antenna thing. I think that's real. That's um, that hurts, but it's true. Um. It's absolutely real. I don't think you. I don't so think you now, could have way. made your mind. I don't think you could have made your mind go there. I don't think you could have. I don't <laughs> think you can make yourself. You can imitate like the references and and the way the stuff barely. But in terms of coming up with a bad comparison, like that, it really it is very that nobody hard. gets. That's just utterly unrelatable Cor- and the, also the, not related to the subject at hand. That if if a horny man saw Courtney Love, his boner would retract like the antenna on a Volvo. You can't make your brain generate that. It's I don't think you could. I, I don't think you could do it. I think you're right. I wish I could, for just because it you know would have been. Well. I, you got to understand your enemy. You know what I mean? Like I, when I wrote this article about right wing comedy, I, I spent so much time trying to understand them so I could like explain why they're wrong. Like I don't want to just look at something and say, Hey, look at how not funny that is. Like I really wanted to academically explain why it's not funny. Just like how I want to understand why a human brain would think, yeah, sometimes uh, you're so sexually like intimidated that your penis goes in in a way a penis doesn't actually work. And I don't know, there's something to that that, that fascinates me. Because <laughs> um, he was trying to come up with like a visual that would be funny to the audience. But one, we don't have cars that have antennas that do that. I, I've never owned one or ridden in one. It, it, and two, to specify to specify Volvo narrows your audience. Even if you had just left Volvo off of that, yeah, but he's got to ins- maybe somebody has insert seen insert the brand in there. That's his thing. He's got to, and that's the thing. Yeah, and, but uh, he's he's got to satisfy the sponsors. Volvo sponsored that. All right, give give Brockway one. Right, so Brockway. You could win it, or you'll be stuck at a tie. This is—is is this real or fake? Now, I don't want to go off on a rant here, but America has become more paranoid than Ross Perot watching three days of the Condor after a seventy-two-hour crack binge. Real that or fake? Is fuck! I'm so stressed. That is fake. <laughs> it's real. Damn it. <laughs> This is impossible. All right, it's a tie. This is impossible. <laughs> I, I'm trying to apply logic, and it's broken every single time. Yep. And we've, we've established, I'll just get it out of the way, we've established that ties go to the guest. Brockway, you'll get it one of these days. Okay. Congratulations, Jason Pargin. You are the Dennis I, I'm gonna Miller I'm going to scrap speaker. the game for a moment. How many fake ones did you write? Did you just write that one? Uh, I I did just write that one. Okay. Yes, because <laughs> that's I you just counted. You, you counted wisely. I, uh, yeah, I suspect I, found, you I, were I wrote going to like do that. twenty that I threw away because I cannot get. There's there's a sort of like flatness to Dennis Miller's jokes where they like they end with just these sort of groany punchlines where you're sort of like oh he's oh you're done oh. And it's like you made us sit through all yes. of that for this. And I've spent so many years trying to train that out of my brain that like it's that I can't write it 
it, it feels unfinished. And so I would keep hacking However, at it. However, I feel like you, you wisely banked on Dennis Miller sounding like he's doing a bad Dennis Miller impression. <laughs> right. So that we, we screwed ourselves just not <laughs> having any confidence on like how bad Dennis Miller can really be. Yeah. It was psychologically just brilliantly cruel on every Thank level. Thank you. And you were to be applauded. The, uh, oh, thank you very much. The uh, Brian Boitano one is the one that stuck in my brain. How he says that like Bill Clinton is does more spin than Brian Boitano with an inner ear infection in a fucking centrifuge, because it's so got to take that one extra step. Yeah, the the adding the fucking is like so desperate to like oh dude I'm really <laughs> fucking saying something here, but like the other things are just like the first thing a, a pedestrian mind would think of that spins like a centrifuge, a Brian Boitano. Um, and the inner infection is the closest thing to edge that joke has. And it's just like lost in this clumsy analogy. I don't know. As someone who writes a lot of clumsy analogies, I recognize a bad one. Like that's something I would have given no thought to backspacing. Just like, nope, that's not it yet. You know. Anyway. Like that, but better. Right, do like, you like think, that. The inner ear thing. Do you think, knowing what you know about comedy and how it works, do you think that Dennis is so used to writing a joke and then knowing that it's good enough that he can sell it in the delivery that he can, that he knows yeah. he can get a laugh from it just through his manner and, and the speed at which he says it. And yeah, as you mentioned, he's very good at like his delivery is very good. Like he knew exactly how to like punch things or do it faster or drop the references so quickly that your mind is trying to catch up and he's already moved on to the next thing. Like, like he's, so I wonder if that's part of his crutch because, you know, you, your entire background is, is in text for the most part. And so it's like, it all has mm -hmm. to come across on the page. Like it's all going to, your right. reader can read it over and over and over again. And it's got to be funny every time. Whereas his, he's doing these things in the moment. He knows what part of the show it's going to be. You know, he knows what joke followed it and what came before and what came after. So I wonder if, if these are not jokes that maybe would play. I don't know. Like, like I wonder if I went back. And yeah, I, I do think he's a talented stand up. And if and if he was to deliver one of these jokes and the audience is just like, oh, Brian Bortani or OK, I don't get it. I think he'd have the talent to be like, oh, so so no ice skating fans in the in the crowd tonight. OK, well, you know, but, and, and move on and like get sort of a chuckle between jokes. And uh, this is going to sound crazy, but um uh, I've seen Carrot Top's show in Vegas and Carrot Top's obviously, um, you know, pretty reviled as a terrible comedian. But if you watch his show, that's part of the act. And the, the things that get laugh is after he does something totally fucking stupid, he's like, he looks like disappointed and sad in himself. And he sort of says something self-deprecating and moves on. And that's where the comedy is. And so Dennis Miller has that ability to, when his, his jokes don't land, to be like, to turn that into sort of a, a quick laugh or a quick like, uncomfortable snicker at least so yeah. i you're 100 right that these could work as as part of a stand-up bit um not a good one not a classic but you know they they totally don't work on on the paper and i feel like if say adam anyway. sandler tried to write a book it would have a lot of the same issues that a lot of it because obviously yeah. people do like adam sandler but a lot of it is just in his manner you just it's it is hard to get mad at him especially the, like his stand-up persona he's like such a schlub and carrot top too mm -hmm. he's, he's like such a likable guy he's not you don't want to hate right. carrot top like he's just he's there to try to make you happy and he's not like you know insulting you or anything so yeah that's i don't know i'm fascinated by yeah, there's no sanctimony to carrot top 
Uh, right. Uh, um, so here, it's interesting how poorly it translates to the page and then how poorly it translated to Twitter, which is why I, I, got, I got sucked down a rabbit hole reading his tweets because it's like, man, he's probably hearing these in his head. He's like, in, on the stage, I could do a Greta Thunberg Veruca Salt joke that would like like he could kind of hear himself doing it and like he would have the right venom in his voice that would just make his old right-wing audience laugh uh but then you type it on twitter and it's just words and it's just there's no cleverness there there's no twist or joke or comparison or anything yeah uh it's it's just a clumsy observation by a, a very normal mind so that's how he's gonna get back on top he's gonna start a tiktok (laughs) <laughs> he's going to be dancing dancing while he does all of this that would work tiktok has that, that advantage of there's always an abrupt end on a tiktok and then it like you know fades to a little picture of them and it it, it works as a as a punctuation of so many different types of jokes like if someone's falling down and it just cuts to like a little credit it's it's a great ending tiktok has uh, a little button built in to every single joke all right. Well, if Dennis Miller, if you want to start a TikTok, I, I would like just $5 million <laughs> for the idea. Okay. Pool. That's pool money for Dennis so Miller. So that's Dennis Miller. That's yeah, the Dennis Miller Can we take a break podcast. before we... We've been here before for Before we start hour. the next two, two sections that we still have to go? <laughs> I think we'll have to go real fast. There's, much, there's a lot less to say sure. about Steven Seagal. I agree. All right, clearly, we're going to be concise. For the Steven Seagal segment of the episode, it may not immediately be clear why you would do a podcast on Dennis Miller and Steven Seagal. <laughs> and we will not spend as much time on Steven Seagal, but they, their lives followed very similar paths. Because let's be, let's be frank, there's a lot of famous people we could have put on here. You could argue that, that mm-hmm. Sylvester Stallone, who you know wrote an Oscar-nominated screenplay with Rocky and later became kind of a joke. There's a lot of celebrities who wind up kind of doing parody of themselves. Mm-hmm. Steven Seagal has taken I wanted taken to throw it. in a wild card one. I Go think ahead. John Carpenter is a lot like that in a good way. Uh, I think John Carpenter uh, made a lot of like really daring art in his early career. It was all, you know, he did some schlock horror type stuff, but it was always really like... Uh, profound and, and visionary. And as as he got older, he stopped giving a fuck in a fun way. Like if you look at Assault on Precinct 13, uh, it's like weird and cool. And then he did the same movie on Mars with, with Pam Greer and it's just fucking silly and stupid, but also awesome. And if you look at Escape from New York, it was, you know, this anti-establishment like action movie with a statement. And then he did... Uh, Escape from L.A. and he's like fucking surfing down the canal with Peter Fonda and it's it's so stupid. It's but uh, again in a great way. I love John Carpenter and I think he got more fun after he stopped giving a fuck. I would say William Shatner also did so, that. He William Shatner I think yeah, is very I'd good agree. about like like he kind of knows that he was always hamming hamming it up. He kind of knows who he is. You know he's, he's got to be close to ninety years old now but it's still out there and still you know Mm -hmm. he makes fun of himself and it's it's a self-awareness is the difference where you really can't kind of skewer your earlier work unless you understand why it's silly steven seagal is accidentally skewering his old work i think 
I, I don't think he knows that he has no idea. I am positive. I will commit where you cannot. <laughs> he has no idea. He thinks he's doing the best work of his life. He's so tough, he doesn't even have to do martial arts anymore. <laughs> so some of the kids out there... I... Go ahead, Sean. I was just going to say that in his early career, like not only was he kind of a cool movie star, but like, like I don't maybe third or fourth grade, I remember kids talking about how he had a standing invitation fight to the death anyone anytime and like that was like believable like that's like the kind of like mystique that he had as not just cool but like a magical kind of cool yes and we can kind of run through his very very briefly his biography here for for the listeners who are younger and more of like the the tiktok generation uh it sounded like sean may have collapsed I heard I heard the sound of like a, a nope. surface stepped in the Sean trap, slapping a floor. Like, there's a lot of three year olds running around oh, okay. throwing things. All right, all right, that's fine. Um, <laughs> so, but he was a legit blockbuster action star for a solid decade, from the late '80s to the late '90s. So he lasted longer than say Taylor Lautner or a lot of people that have that have come and gone. For someone who I would say was maybe a little limited in charisma and acting ability. Um, that's generous, but he, and martial arts ability and, and just general likability. Yeah. And it was kind of a lot of limitations. Yeah. And which is kind of inspiring because he was a legit international movie star to the point that he can still get huge paydays doing these direct to video movies even now. And people our age all know who Steven Seagal is. And back then, yeah. And, and, Mm -hmm. and the early nineties, absolutely thought he was a cool dude now this is interesting because recently on twitter i asked a question asking my followers it's like do you think i had pictures of steven seagal in his prime i said do you think he was a handsome man (laughs) and 80 percent said no i think that is recency bias i don't believe if you had asked women back in the day in the actual early 90s do you think like would you date steven seagal if he was I like i'd a agree to that movie? yeah i i think i, I don't, don't think, think he was a sex get... symbol but i no it, when he boned a girl in a movie you're not like what what, uh, right. what is going on here but interestingly i asked a follow-up question where, like, if you found out your mother was having an affair with Steven Seagal on the side, and I didn't specify whether it was current day Steven Seagal or in his prime, <laughs> but, like, let's say you went to your parents' home, or if you or if you live with them, if you went in the bedroom, and you found a nude Steven Seagal in the closet um, where he was hiding, because... He, would, he wouldn't make it to the closet. <laughs> He would just sit there and let let him be discovered. He doesn't he doesn't walk. He doesn't hide. But the question was, would you gain or lose respect for your mother finding out she was getting Steven Seagal on the side? And it more than doubled. Forty percent said, no, actually, I would be happy for mom. And only 60 percent said they they would actually be lose respect for the mother if they found out she was getting some a little bit of a little bit of Steven Seagal. Uh, on the side from I love that you did like actual sociological studies coming into this podcast like very few people do this much prep for a podcast and I really appreciate it yeah and I feel like you did this prep unrelated to the podcast but I will also give you give you points (laughs) yeah don't check the don't check the dates on that poll because it may turn out this predates (laughs) you asking me to be on this show (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but the point is I guess my the point is that now 
retroactively he looks ridiculous, and I don't think he knows that. But for him, at some point, and if you go back and watch his movies, and I've seen most of them. I've not seen the recent ones where he started cranking them out because, as I mentioned down here, uh, in 2016, Steven Seagal was in six movies. Like, you can go to his IMDb. Like, he, he cranks these things out. And at some point in, I guess, the mid-90s, he started to do that thing that happens with certain celebrities. It, you know, of course, happened with Michael Jackson. It happened with where it's not necessarily a mental illness. It's crazy, but it's more crazy in the sense that you get famous enough and you have just enough power that there's no one to keep you in check. Like you, you're just right. powerful enough that you can surround yourself with yes men because Steven Seagal was not acting in the equivalent of the Avengers of, of that era. It was more the second tier. Like these are movies that it's, it's made because he's in it. Right. So mm -hmm. it's a tremendous amount of power on that set. Right. So by like 1994, he made the movie on deadly ground. And that's the first time where Steven Seagal was like, well, now we need to make an action movie that will fix the environment. Right. It literally ends with and him also, giving... also, I think that... Go ahead. I was going to say that that movie, his character, uh, like, legitimately had, like, a bit of magic, if I remember. Like, before he was a badass, but now he was sort of starting to buy his own, like, Aikido master hype. And he's like, we got to put some of my, like, mysticism into this film. I think that... I think you're right that that's the turning point where he's... He, he started to think. Is that the one where he where more. he started playing minorities? So I think that's, he's like an that's the turning point. Eskimo he's like, or some sort of a native. Uh, yeah, like okay. Like I, the, I'm totally on board then. The Native American uh, like jacket, and the the movie literally ends with him giving a four minute long speech about the need to save the planet over like B roll of pollution. It's like the, it's it's like a Neil <laughs> Breen type thing where he he literally thinks this movie is going to be the thing that. <laughs> In the rest of the movie, it's just some just, corny plot about, of course, the evil oil company wants to, uh, yeah. whatever. Dusted his hands when they were done filming. Well, got that sorted. What's next? That'll do it. And then he can't imagine that didn't do it. By 1996, he was in a movie called The Glimmer Man, where he played like a Buddhist magic detective, and that's where he's starting to do the thing where. As you said, he's convinced that he, because he was in some action movies that were very successful, he's now convinced that he has the answers to what ails the human soul. <laughs> and he has a, like a blues album. What's his music album? It, it's oh god, he's got the Tales from the Crystal Caves. Is yeah. that one? But yeah, it's the name. You don't need to hear the album. The fact that the album is called something like I don't know if Sean just made up the name of the album or, or <laughs> if it's something exactly like that. But it's either called Tales from the Crystal Caves, or something very similar. Does someone want to Google it, or are we happy to just leave it? I think we're fine. We're but, fine. With Crystal Caves. Songs from the Crystal Caves, but it's definitely something Crystal Caves. <laughs> something terrible happened in those Crystal Caves. But yeah, Steven Seagal at this point was kind of redefining himself as like sort of a Native American shaman, but also like like a Nolan's black man. And right when he was like, all of a sudden, I can play every you don't need to cast minority sidekicks anymore in right. the action movies. I can just play the minority. It's the uh, 
nobody's gonna tell you no to that nobody's <laughs> nobody's gonna say you can't be a black guy because you can't <laughs> There was a public perception shift, I think, uh, in 1996, he made a movie called um, Executive Decision with Kurt Russell. And it looked like he was going to be the star of this movie. If you're going into that movie not knowing anything about it, you're like, this is a Steven Seagal, Kurt Russell, buddy cop movie in, in the sky. And he dies, like, on the way into the plane. Like, he's like this super spy or super counter-terrorist. So that was the best moment. There's this story about uh, Steven Seagal was at a screening and he gets wiped out before he does shit. And the, the audience cheered like sarcastically, <laughs> like yeah, he's dead. And Steven Seagal got so mad that he left and his agent had to like talk him down and say like, no, no, they're cheering because they love you. And they were like, you died heroically. And, it, and with that level of delusion, the weakness that you carry with you is that you're susceptible to that type of bullshit. If someone comes up to you and says, here's, here's why something happened, it's because you're so great. You believe anything they say. Yeah. So of course, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that does. Make I was sense. wondering why I was so great, and I, it, I couldn't tie that. You got it though. You, but you I get one. But everyone, in, when he died in that movie, thought it was funny. No one's like, "Oh, damn it! I thought this was Steven Seagal movie." Ah. Oh. Yeah. So he died so uselessly and stupid, just in a tube, <laughs> just in a tube in the sky. <laughs> if you die, you're that you're the action master, and you're caught in a tube, and then just fall out of a plane. I don't even think they cut to his face. He was just like. No, nope, just in the tube, in a gone. tube. It was just off camera almost. Oh, what a solid moment. And then somewhere in there, he became one of the only celebrities to get banned from Saturday Night Live. Right. Uh, because he treated, I guess, the, the, the crew and everybody so badly and had like these really tight restrictions on like not making himself look silly. Um, right. He, st- he has I heard they still he won't show the episode to this day. Is I think they true? cut it from Netflix, but it's still on. Um, you can still see chunks of it on NBC.com, and but it is I very never, difficult to find. You have to get it on like, the old DVDs. I never saw it. I have to check it out. It's it's a bad episode, even when he's not on it. But when he's on it, he he's like ruthlessly um, not allowed to make fun of himself, and so like the sketches are super weird because. Like people like getting beat up by Steven Seagal and the crowds just kind of like, what is going on in this skit? So I, why is that funny? Yeah, like he just, it's it's fucking weird. So this they even is, have like stunt guys if I remember. Like there's he was like, no, we got to do a real fight scene, and Phil Hartman was like, dude, I'm not gonna let Steven Seagal throw me through a fucking wall. <laughs> Phil Hartman, I would die. <laughs> So this is what I find fascinating because there's some point where fame just detaches some people from the world. And if you listen mm-hmm. to the bonus episode, we're going to talk about Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage, I think for the average person is the like platonic ideal of this happening where it seems like he now lives in another universe. I would say that probably Johnny Depp, it appears that has happened to him. Like, they just can't relate yeah. to the world anymore. The funny thing about Steven Seagal is that it doesn't seem like, you know, this is Saturday Night Live. There's like freaking Donald Trump, pre-politics Donald Trump could go on there and make fun of himself. It, you know, it, mm-hmm. like, it, you know, freaking Barack Obama, it, Tom Hanks, like the biggest superstars in the world could go on there and, and mock themselves a little bit. But Steven Seagal was like, right. you know, no. You know, the the people out there don't want to see my image desecrated. They, I'm a hero to them, and that's that's what's so great because it doesn't. 
he either thought he was way more famous than he was, or as I meant said earlier on in the show, it's just the true him came out. Like he was just going to be a dick. Like even if he was just working at a, a muffler shop, he was going to be a dick about it. Like it just didn't matter what his job was. I am fascinated. I, I got to ask both of you, this is kind of a personal question. How do you think you would handle mega fame? Brockway first. If you became like, say you wrote a book and it became like Harry Potter, huge, like huge enough that like children all around the world were dressing as your characters for Halloween. How do you think you would handle it? I think I would retreat from society completely and elaborately, uh, <laughs> possibly leaving behind a trail of riddles that you could solve to find me. Uh, but generally, yeah, I would pull back. I would go the recluse route, crazy eccentric recluse route. And maybe maybe like a young writer would find me and I would, you know, find myself in him and inspire him. And maybe he could be, maybe he could be like a minority or something. And I could be like, you're the man now, doc. That's that's my dream. I want to be the finding forester type. By the way, do the kids doing TikTok realize that they're just doing like live action, you're the man now, dog? People remember that website? The, or I, they just were, Vine from even a few years ago? Yeah, the, the, if anything, they're doing a lesser version of that of that site where it just looped some audio. That's a good point. All right. But, yeah. uh, Sean, in terms of if you, like if you, I don't, I don't know, whatever, if something you did became mega, mega huge, Star Wars huge, so huge that you don't control it anymore. That's the, that's the thing. It's big right. to the point that it's not even about you. Do you think that would make you a, a bad person? Or you think you, how do you think you would handle it? I, th- I don't think it would make me a bad person. I think I'd be cranky a lot. Like, um, I mean, at times in my career, I've been famous enough where if I go in a public place for more than an hour, someone will like recognize me and want to talk to me. But that's really flattering and nice and not like obnoxious. But if I was at a place where like if I stopped a crowd forms and I have to like stop and take pictures and autographs, like... I think I would be just so cranky all the time that I wouldn't be able to like even fake it. And I yeah, think, I want the riches, but the fame seems like a curse. Yeah, so I, I think I'd be ill-equipped for it. But um, yeah, see, I do like I, making I, people happy. I would be happy that I made a Star Wars level thing or whatever. Sure, but I don't think I'd want to talk about it all day with strangers. I don't think I'd want to. Here's here's the thing about me. I guess I don't like sharing a lot of positive energy with strangers through like intimate like person-on-person thing so like i don't like to go to like concerts or music festivals so much because it feels way too intimate to share with like people i don't like having all that positive energy like that burning man thing where everyone goes and falls in love with everybody like that makes me really uncomfortable and so if a if multiple fans come up to me it's it's like dude this is way too much positive energy i don't know i don't know you like that i guess that's i don't like good vibes (laughs) <laughs> I do like good vibes. It's just that I just don't trust them with people I don't trust. I just don't. I just don't trust good vibes. <laughs> See, I actually. What about have, you, Jason? This is one of my fears, and there's no way to say this without sounding like an asshole. Like I'm afraid I will get too famous. You know, it's like, uh, you know, it, it it's it'd be like like your uh your bodybuilding fans like well you know i don't want to get too buff my shirts won't fit right. it's like okay that's uh but i the way we know that this world works there is an element of randomness to it 
because Harry Potter is not even the only book series about a child who goes off to magic school. Like, that is not a unique story or a unique format. It caught lightning in a bottle at the exact right moment. You know, J.K. Rowling could just as easily have retired having sold a healthy 100,000 copies of those books and had a decent career writing and bought a house with it instead of being literally a billionaire whose every horrible opinion is just endlessly dissected on the, in the British tabloids. Like, like you reach a level where it's you have to realize this is madness, that no one should care what I have to say. There should not be that like... That is a good point I want to interrupt here. If I became mega famous, I can't imagine like surviving the nitpicking through my old through my early work. It would be uh, a nightmare. And uh, normally, my old jokes they're jokes, and you can tell they're jokes. But you chop off a few words at the start and end of a sentence, and I, I, it just looks like hate crimes. I would imagine from today's uh, uh, point of view. Right, but but I guess that's kind of part of it. Is that when you get big enough, you don't control it anymore. So I'm going to give you my example. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there is an alternate world where the first book I wrote that let's say it got adapted into like uh, a TV series. And let's say that it became Rick and Morty because Rick and Morty is a buddy comedy about a pair of people who it's this blood and guts comedy with profanity it's very fast-paced, but it's the exact same tone and premise where there's monsters from other dimensions and they have to go, like, stop these world-ending threats, but it's a it's like a blood-and-guts slapstick, profane kind of format, formatted comedy, and then each time they're kind of, like, skewering some trope, some genre trope. It's very similar to what I wrote. They didn't steal it from me, obviously. It's just me and the people who wrote that are the same age and we came from the same place with the same influences. So let's say in some alternate world, they adapted John Dice at the end into a TV show and then it became, like say it caught fire the way Rick and Morty has. And Rick and Morty is now a merchandising megalith. Like they, there's, you know, right. freaking sleeping bags and t-shirts and lunchboxes. They sell billions of dollars worth of toys and everything like it's there's there's bootleg stuff to totally lose control of your thing and to where like the rick and morty fans were like rioting at a mcdonald's because they didn't bring back the sauce (laughs) because of some throwaway joke in an episode that, that you wrote two years ago it takes that long to animate it and this throwaway joke, and the McDonald's decides to bring back the sauce in response to that joke, and then a bunch of fans go viral for yeah. being dicks about it, and and then it reflects badly on you. Like, you would feel <laughs> such a loss of control because mm-hmm. that fandom that now has nothing to do with you or your creation or your what you're trying to say or anything. It's become just a meme. It's become a series of images. I have I get like short of breath imagining that happening to me or something I made like where it becomes so big that there's toys and there's knockoff shows and there's other shows like trying to imitate it and like all that like yeah. I, I might it can't fit in my brain and the thought that all of these other people are out there talking about it and debating it and it's just lives outside of where I can like kind of be there for it where, where you write a book like I'm 100% in charge of the book I decide every word you know, it goes out, it sells, and then that's it. But the idea of it becoming like this phenomenon that's going to outlive you, 
I kind of hate that idea. No matter how much money I made, I kind of, I, I, I hate the idea. But yeah. see, like all three of us have like a negative view of it, right? Because Brockway is going to go live on yeah. an island and have and be friendless <laughs> and alone. <laughs> and you're like all three of us are kind of like shrinking from the possibility because each of us have been in a situation like we've been in rooms where we were famous in that room and where people sure. are treating you like you're famous. And I, yeah, it was awful. And it was awful. <laughs> Unironically. Unironically, it was terrible. I took, I took a solid year off my life. So if you're Steven Seagal, then it seems like, I, I don't know. I, I wish I could. I have so many questions for him and I'm sure he cannot answer them because I'm fascinated by it. <laughs> he couldn't I, even I articulate bet, them. There's no I way. I bet that whoever was on the set of very, of his very, very first movie, they would probably say, you know what? He was acting like he thought he was Arnold Schwarzenegger back then too. Like right. he thought he, he was a superstar from the moment he walked on the set and it was just, you know, he's just always the same jerk. It's just that now he doesn't have the same you know opportunities where like he couldn't, he's like not in the expendables or the first one because he like, what did he like demand too much money or something? Like he thought he was too famous to do it. Uh, it's just, <laughs> and like Bruce Willis shows up in these movies and, and it, it's like, well, yeah, but I'm not, right. I'm not all the way down on Bruce Willis's level. It's like, uh, and this is fucking kidding. No, these guys got old. They don't have it anymore. Like me. <laughs> so anyway, I, his recent movies, the ones he's making right now, the ones that you can go on Amazon Prime or wherever they live, I guess they're on, I don't think they're on Netflix, maybe they are. It is... Sometimes. Janky free listening, services. Listening to this, Sean, do you have in front of you some of the names of his the movies from the last, say, four or five years, something like that? Like some of those 2016... You could easily just start making up titles and you would be right. <laughs> it's true. After about 2000, they all full-on run together. I've seen a lot of them. I, I like to get together with friends and watch Steven Seagal movies. You have to just kind of tell like how fat he is in the movie and that's like how recent it is. And it's, other than that, it's just a, a gray sort of Romanian thriller. Uh, the other, the thing about Steven Seagal movies too, you mentioned this earlier, Jason, that he sort of just shows up and sits in a chair. And that's very true that like he doesn't even do like fight scenes anymore. Occasionally you'll see him do some sort of a keto slap to a dude and then a real tight close up on his face. And then it'll cut to the back of somebody else doing the actual fight. But what this creates is this whole new like visual style of editing where Steven, they can't leave even show him walking or running. So when he moves most of his movies, he'll sort of teleport a few feet with these weird, like ghostly fades. So it's a very horror movie style editing in an action movie that I don't know how much uh, Steven creative... Seagal is haunting his own movies. Yeah, I don't know if he if he's there telling editors to do this, but it's very common in Steven Seagal movies for the editing to be just fucking crazy in ways that might be artistic uh, somewhere else. But in Steven Seagal I'm movies, the ghost just, in the darkness. You can tell. Make, it. make me look like the ghost at forty percent more ghost in just darkness. Teleport me there. Oh, that's good. Can you can you make me look one hundred and eighty pounds smaller? Anyway, I, I, I guess that's just a fun fact about Steven Seagal is that he teleports a lot in his films for purely practical reasons, I imagine. But it, it it's a weird and Steven these Seagal trope. Have titles like I'm gonna I'm not looking at the list, but like Strike Soldier, Contract to Kill, General Cold Commander. Vengeance. Out for a kill. Is General Vengeance a real title or did you just make that up? 
<laughs> you don't know. <laughs> You'll never know. That's the next shot. Maybe his book game: real or fake Steven Seagal movie title. <laughs> that should be one. Just there are so many. Totally you might impossible. actually land on a few real ones by trying to make up ones. <laughs> Gut shot straight. Real or fake, Jason? <laughs> That's. I'm gonna say fake. It's real. <laughs> <laughs> he played a guy named Polly Trunks. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's if we rattle off some names, you just run down IMDb some names of characters he's okay. played. They include Mason Storm, Elijah Kane, Lieutenant Jack Cole, Travis Hunter, Jack Taggart, <laughs> Jonathan Cold. C O L D. Now this is not does not be confused with <laughs> oh, Lieutenant Jack Cold. Vengeance. Cole. Right Jonathan there. Cold in what what was the name of the movie, Brockway? Cold Vengeance. Cold <laughs> Vengeance. Forest Taft. Axe. That one's pretty bad. And just Decker. Just Axe. Just Axe. And just Decker. Uh yeah. So These are like I do these things called man comics on Cracked, and so I'm always trying to come up with like action movie names for the characters. And like, you can't parody any better than Steven Seagal's real fucking character names. Like, fucking Jonathan Cold is inherently funny to me. Like, if I had landed on Jonathan Cold while writing a fake character, I'd be like, I'm done. That's funny. I'm very confident that Cold just, is just not the right an amount actual, of not trying. An actual surname in in the world that people have, right? Am I wrong about that? Is that... That has to be for a title, right? It has to be like Cold Case. Yeah. It's starring Jonathan Cold. <laughs> Vengeance is always served cold. It's always served Jonathan. <laughs> always served Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> listeners out there who... If you're listening to this, I assume you're the type who likes to, like, watch bad movies and get together with friends, watch bad movies, make fun of them and, and whatever. If you're not, and you, you're living a lesser life if you don't, because some people I think would say, well, what's the point? Why would you pay money? Like, why would you pay money for all these books, Sean? Why would you pay money for like all of this, all of this stuff? Why would you pay to watch a Steven Seagal movie on Amazon prime? You the, the have to understand joy you get from a bad movie is so much greater than a good one. Because, the fact that the movie, these movies are made, every bad movie is made under such strict restrictions that seeing how they get around them is always kind of amazing. Because these movies that he's making now, and the movies that like Bruce Willis makes some of these on the side, Nicolas Cage makes some on the side, these are things that they just dump to streaming where I'm going to guess the budgets on these are probably... I don't know, like like three to five million dollars, and I would say most of it goes to the star, the the famous face they can put sure. on the cover because they can, and so then the rest of the movie is being shot on, I don't know, a million, you know, between half a million dollars and two million dollars depending on the movie, but it's mostly they've got, you know, they can get investors together to get a few million bucks together, and they know that the moment they put Steven Seagal's face on or Nicholas Cage's face on or Bruce Willis's face on the thumbnail. Or on the DVD in international markets, you can still sell DVDs and they'll dump these in grocery store bins. You've seen these, you've checked out at Walmart. They just got them piled in there and they'll have somewhere there's like eight movies on one disc for, for like $4. And you get a famous face on there. They've done the math. They will make their money. I do. Uh, I have a friend who does, uh, who used to work with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, basically, they would attach him to the project and then they would 
sell the movie and then they'd get the budget. So it was like you put Jason Statham in your movie and then you go to Romania or Bulgaria and you're like, hey, we got a Jason Statham movie coming out. It's called like, you know, Razor's Edge. And they're like, cool, we'll buy 800,000 copies of whatever the fuck they buy. And then they just make the movie for less than the money they've already made. And that's uh, simple as that. And if they make more, if, they, if it sells more, awesome. They'll go somewhere and shoot either if they're either shooting in L.A. or else they'll go someplace where they can shoot for really cheap, Eastern Europe or, or someplace if they need an actual setting, if it's not just taking place in a guy's apartment in L.A. Um, like some of the Bruce Willis ones, it really looks like they just shot them in the, the director's apartment. Um, but if they need like a, like an old factory to shoot in, you know, they'll, they may find one in. I don't know, the Ukraine or whatever, an old closed down steel factory. And that's it. You can set up in there for a week. And then and then you will get this contract from Steven Seagal that says, I am there for 48 hours. I will have X, Y and Z in my hotel room. I'm not I'm not going to be in a trailer. I'm going to stay in a hotel. You know, you've you've got to figure out you've got X number of scenes you need me in. We're going to bang those out in a couple of days. I will work for four hours a day or whatever. I, I can only get out of my chair twice. And they will shoot around it. And so you watch these and it is fascinating to see them trying to work around one, how little these guys are in the movie. Because in some cases, like every scene they're in is going in the trailer and then seeing the logistical challenge of, well, the audience expects a climactic fight between Steven Seagal and the main bad guy. But Steven Seagal, who at this point is, how old is Steven Seagal now? Like 67 or something? He's not a young man, obviously, anymore. Sure. And has already left. Right. He's not there <laughs> yeah, anymore. So, so trying to cut in some shots of his face, because you can't just do stuntman end to end. You've got to cut to his face somewhere in there. And seeing them try to match it, it's really amazing. To these Everything photos about of him eating a carrot. Like, how do we take this carrot photo <laughs> and fucking make it look like a fight? And it's not like... He they, spits the carrot they, through the bad guy's eye. It's not like they've got the budget to, like, recreate it in CGI or to map another face onto the double. Like, they've kind of got to work with what they've got. Yeah. They've got it the is, fattest stuntman they could find in a ponytail wig. And it doesn't look like anything other than what he just said. It is magical because... I don't know whether I should be happy for him that he's still working because at least he's doing something. He's getting out of the house, but does he think these are good or (laughs) is he just so bitter that he's like, I know this is trash. People will watch anything. I don't, I honestly don't know. Or does he think that he's so awesome that like, this is all they, this is all it takes. Like just, just me showing up for these couple of days in this chair. Definitely think the latter. Probably. Yeah. I think he still thinks, I think he's, if anything, he thinks he's gotten so much better with age that now he just has to show up and kind of squint and people just, yeah. women, women explode in lust. <laughs> men, men wither like they've Carrots just seen inside the in Ark fear. of the Covenant. And earlier and I was just talking so about, good. I was talking about how much I love bad movies, but Steven Seagal like strains that love. Like, there's about 20 Steven Seagal movies in a row that are are so like joyless and slow and like they're boring, like poorly written and like, yeah, they're really boring. And there's a competence to them. Like generally, uh, aside from Steven Seagal, everyone's kind of doing fine. And uh, 
I could sit down and uh, I have written some articles on them because like you can find funny problems with them. But like sitting down with your friends, you're not going to be like, that was a very funny thing that happened. It's just sort of like later you can make your criticisms about the film funny because they're so huge. But they make the world a worse place is my point. Steven Seagal should yeah, not be making these movies. They're bad art. He doesn't even accidentally manufacture joy anymore. Right. Right. The so most answer, Steven Seagal inter- entertains me is is that he wears tiny little glasses that are far too small for his head. Where's tiny little every, everything that's far too small for him? He doesn't know. Every time he's a I see guy. them, I laugh. And and I don't I, I don't I just picture him looking at himself in the mirror and he's like, Yes, these glasses make my head look huge. <laughs> it does look like you're putting hilarious tiny props on like like an overplumped hot dog. Like you're just sticking them in Mr. Potato Head style. Magic markering on hair. That was the stuntman from Kill Switch. Just a very big hot dog and tiny sunglasses. <laughs> Again, please, audience, I would Kill Switch starring Bulgaria's biggest hot dog. Google Steven Seagal goatee <laughs> or I guess just his name is probably enough will get you what we're talking about. It looks sure. like someone has painted it on with a Sharpie. So I guess to try to to try to wrap this up two hours into it, I guess the point between the two of these to take home, there are plenty of entertainers who have aged gracefully. When Sean Connery got old, like he played Harrison Ford's dad. In a movie, he played the mm-hmm. old man. He was, he knew, you know, he could transition to playing the, because he was, he used to be freaking James Bond. He used to be, you know, I'm having sex all around the world. I'm the hottest man. But he didn't try to, he didn't like paint his hair black and continue trying to be James Bond. He, he gracefully, right. you know, knew he's getting older. He's going to, you know, and even Harrison Ford, who's something of, of a cranky old guy, but he started to play, you know, doctors and lawyers and, he didn't pretend he was Han Solo. Yes, I know he eventually came back and played Han Solo, and it was very sad. But there was a period of time where he was <laughs> aging gracefully. And I think there's a lesson for all of us where if either of these men had had the self-awareness to say, you know what, I'm not the edgy comedian I was when I was 25. And that's okay. I don't have to be. You know, I'm a millionaire. I can just be decent to people. I don't have to, like chase a paycheck right. by like yelling, uh, making jokes about uh, pronouns or whatever. Like I can, I can just peacefully reside in the background. I don't have to always be famous. It, it's actually not necessarily a good thing. And Steven Seagal, we could have still like, he could have graduated to some other stage of his life. If he had wanted to, he could be playing like mob bosses and stuff, but it's like, no, I'm going to be the guy who's still the best at karate. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, again, because the bad guy is always some buff dude. And it's like Steven Seagal's going to take him out with, with what's the what's the uh, martial art he does? Aikido. Aikido. Aikido with, the, with Aikido or whatever. Like at some point he believed, both of these guys kind of believed their own BS, I guess. And I don't know. That's, that's what here in this Christmas season when we're recording this, I'm sure you're listening to it long after, but this is the time for reflection. <laughs> let these men serve as a cautionary tale you can you you don't have to try to cling to the awesome person you were when you were you know 27 it's it's fine it's time time will make a fool of you right because if you do i mean if you try that if you really can't learn to let it go 
you will make hundreds of millions of dollars. Yes, you will be fabulously wealthy, but people will be laughing at you. That's the thing about these two men is that they have achieved a level of success. They could fucking literally do anything they want. Like Steven Seagal doesn't have to work. Dennis Miller doesn't have to do these, doesn't have to do this right wing shit. He could jump jet skis, whatever. He could, he could rent a Ferrari and crash it and be like, oh, whatever. What's the, be back tomorrow. He could do just stuff for fun. He could just pick projects that look fun. He could do, go out right. and do, go to the and, comedy store and just do a, do a set. I don't know. Do a set of the old stuff. Just go out and people will miss you if you're, if you're gone. Right? There's nostalgia. People are like, oh, it's Dennis Miller. I used to love him back in, when I was in sure. high school. You know, and just kind of show up and stuff. You know, pop up uh, you know, on, on do a guest spot on a, on a show, on a sitcom, and the whole audience will clap when you walk on set. It's like, no, the world must, must know that they're wrong to yell at Donald Trump or whatever. Like, I don't know if he truly <laughs> believes it. Right. Uh, and you know, I don't know. It, it's like you're you're as famous as Steve Skull was back then. You can you can keep doing stuff for a long, long time. It, it doesn't have to be sad. It have to be like you're selling, you know, you're signing autographs at like boat shows or something like that. You can you can find stuff to do. Uh, he could have a really funny like like a YouTube cooking show, and everybody would love him for it. It's like no, I'm still. Right. Uh, it's 68 years old. I'm still. I, I need people. People want to see me kick this young dude's ass. Do you have a specific way that you end the show? I've only done one other one. Is there is there like a thing that we that you do that ends it? You don't have a catchphrase or you don't thank the patrons or, or something? Einstein Hunter Frankfurt! Einstein Hunter Frankfurt! Unser Podcast Knaus! Und mit maximalen Schau! Doc Frankfurt Podcast? That is it. That's our main show. Uh, thanks to our guest, Jason Harjan. Go buy his book, Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick. It's available wherever you get books. It's fantastic. Uh, I'd also like to thank our patrons, Rich Jocelyn, Luke Skyjogger, Lane Haygood, Doug Redmond, Jamie Gordon, Benjamin Serranen, Dr. Awkward, Ken Paisley, Josh S., Yusarian, Zachary Evans, Adrian Hisbrook, thank you very much, Aiden Muet. Mike Stiles, Toasty God, Josh Fabian, Neil Bailey, Eric Spaulding, the artist formerly known as Devin, David Fornoff, Jaber Al Aiden, Micah Phillips, Neil Schaefer, Zidarfan, Lyman, Armando Nava, John McCammon, Yanis Ioannidis, John, Nick Ralston, Dean Costello, Rhea Hawk, Three Finger Louie, Timmy Leahy, Brianne Whitney, Matt Riley, and Nick Heyman. Thank you very much for supporting our page. Uh, the bonus episode will be on the, uh, the Discord. Our theme song is by the Oral Knots, and the bonus credit song is by three-year-old Rebel Riley. Turn it on. It's on right now. Yeah. You go swing, swing, up and down. Turn, turn, turn around. Turn around, gun. Gun, gun, son of a gun. Take my place, the sun shines in the bedroom when you play. And the raining always starts when you go away. The sun shines in the bedroom. Thanks, pal. Ah! Is that version the Nirvana cover or is that the...
Is that the original? 